Ready? Born ready. another episode of your favorite political podcast where the party at i'm your host saba long we are back to our regularly scheduled program if you did not listen to the last two episodes i definitely encourage you to go back and listen we interviewed two people in tennessee about what's been going on there both the politics the shooting what's to come next the state of democratic politics A lot of good stuff. Go back and check out those two episodes. Let's dive right in, starting with Atlanta politics, the story that just won't go away. Cop City is back in the news. A few things happened, so let's break it down. In March of this year, the mayor organized a second task force. There's already one. And this new one was supposed to be more community-oriented, You had folks representing big organizations like the Georgia NAACP. You had local clergy, university folks, green space organizations. And well, the group met for the first time last week and it was behind closed doors. No press allowed. And the mayor said, hey, I'm doing this closed doors because the community members are concerned about their safety. Isn't that what the police are for? Uh, But (laughs) at least two members publicly said that, hey, mayor, the meeting should actually be public. One of those was Gerald Griggs of the Georgia NAACP. The other was Chris Bruce of the ACLU of Georgia. And the ACLU of Georgia actually decided to step down. So here's what they said in their press release. And I quote, Policy and Advocacy Director Christopher Bruce joined the task force hoping to increase the level of transparency surrounding the training center and to protect protesters exercising their First Amendment rights. The ACLU of Georgia is disappointed by the lack of commitment to transparency in providing media and citizen access to the meetings of the task force and its subgroups. So, The ACLU of Georgia stepped down, and then the city said, oh, our bad, we will make the meetings available by Zoom. So not in person, but you can watch it on Zoom. So as all this is happening, news broke about the shooting of Tortuguita. We've talked about what happened here. This person was shot and killed by state troopers. The state story is that Tortuguita was in a tent. They were told to exit the tent and refused and allegedly shot a trooper. And then the troopers fired back. So the DeKalb County Medical Examiner just released the results of their autopsy. And it is pretty bad. It certainly alarmed folks. So two key things. According to the autopsy, Tortuguita had 57 bullet wounds. And the second is that the DeKalb medical examiner did not see gunpowder residue on Tortuguita's hands. 36 of those bullet wounds were on the lower body. One bullet went through the right eye, so that one would have been fatal. 
Some of the wounds were from re-entry, which I'm assuming means the bullet ricocheted and came back into the person. They also ruled the death a homicide. Now, I'm bringing this up because when you hear that, you think it's a murder, right? But that's not a criminal charge. It just means that person A was killed by someone or some people. And the other thing about the gunshot residue, the medical examiner sent a gun residue kit to the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, but we don't know yet what came out of that kit. And I imagine that there's an open records request for folks trying to get the results of the kit. Now, the autopsy report is dated March 14th, and it came out over a month later. I don't know why it's just now being released. I don't know what prompted it, who prompted the release. It's all interesting for sure. Uh, And then the last big thing is the GBI completed the investigation and they have sent the case to the Habersham County District Attorney, George Christian. Now, if you recall, this happened in DeKalb County. So it would have been, it would have gone to the DeKalb DA, Sherry Boston, but she recused herself from the case and her rationale at the time was that the DA's office was involved in the task force to clear the protesters the day that Tort was shot and killed. And so she felt that they should not be part of the trial or looking to see if they, they should press charges. So that's what DA Christian in Habersham County will do. He will look at the evidence to determine if any of the troopers will face criminal charges. That case was sent on April 14th, but again, this was released to the public last week. So there's been these delays in information, and it's not clear why those delays are occurring. That's uh, certainly fascinating. The Cop City conversation is not going away anytime soon. Kind of has, you know, it seems like we have like a two or three week lull. And then things spike back up and then it will be a lull again. So we'll see what happens next. All right, on to elections. So Mableton in Cobb County officially has a city government. Voters elected the first mayor, that's Michael Owens, and a city council. So now their next steps is they've got to hire staff or contract out certain services like police, fire, trash pickup, park maintenance, all those basic things. Here's what's really sad. The unofficial vote count for voter turnout, 12.93%, less than 13%. There are more than 47,000 voters in Mableton. Just over 6,000 actually showed up to vote in the runoff election. And then in Clayton County, they also had an election on April 18th, and their their voter turnout was also insanely low. Voters elected a new sheriff in Clayton County. Here are some of the lowest turning uh, lowest turnout precinct numbers. 4.42% of voters added precinct. 2.59% of voters added precinct. Total voter voter turnout in Clayton County was 8.34%. So that's 15,000 people out of 182,000 people. 
insanely low. <laughs> so I just want to go ahead and let you know now, put it on your calendars. In Atlanta, there will be an election this year in 2023 in November. All of the odd seats are up for the Atlanta school board. So that's districts one, three, five, and then the at-large seats seven and nine. So just go ahead and put in your calendar because we're not going to do eight and 13% voter turnout. Like that's not okay. The election, like I said, is going to be in November. Candidates will have to officially qualify in August. There are already a couple of folks who've said they're going to run. And then there are some existing board members who've said that they are going to run for re-election. All of that means we'll be doing a Who Runs Atlanta again. And we'll be talking to the school board candidates. So stay tuned for that. All right. And speaking of elections, let's pivot to 2024, where so much is going to happen. West Virginia Governor Jim Justice has decided that he will run for the United States Senate. He'll be in a primary against Representative Alex Mooney of West Virginia, who was already pledged to put 10 million of his own dollars in the race. Already. And this election is not until next year. But Justice is super wealthy, so he can go dollar for dollar. If Mooney puts in 10, Justice can put in 10, Justice can put in 20 or however much he wants because he's a multi, multi, multi millionaire. All right, so that's West Virginia. Of course, Biden is going to announce his reelection bid as early as tomorrow, Tuesday, if you're listening to the show when it drops. <clears throat> so Biden will be announcing as early as tomorrow his reelect. Now, here's something interesting. We always talk about polls. Here's something interesting from an NBC poll that just came out. And I quote, substantial majorities of all Americans don't want Trump or Biden to run for president in 2024. Half of those don't want Biden to run because they say that his age is a major reason why. Biden is 80. Trump is 76. We'll see what happens. Speaking of age, this one is really crazy. Uh, Republicans have, you know, really publicly pushed back on this narrative that there is such a thing as voter suppression and, and Republicans in particular are suppressing the vote. But there's some audio that just came out that makes that a little hard to deny. So Cleta Mitchell who I know, I only know a black Cleta. I've never met a white Cleta, but Cleta Mitchell is a white woman who's a lawyer and a former Democratic Oklahoma state rep. She became a Republican in 96. Uh, and she is one of the folks who was on that infamous Find Me 10,000 Votes phone call that Trump uh, was on with Raffensperger, the Georgia Secretary of State. So Cleta has helped push the narrative that the election was stolen from Trump. She's also cozy with Jenny Thomas, the wife of Justice Clarence Thomas, who we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. So what's the deal with her? Why are we talking about her? Well, she was recorded talking about the conservative push to eliminate same-day voter registration, and that means that you can register to vote on the same day as the election is and vote the same day. And she also said that she wants to make it harder for college students 
to vote. Take a listen. Uh, Wisconsin is a big problem because of the first day, because of the polling locations on college campuses. There are five one C3s. Their goal for the Supreme Court race was to turn out 240,000 college students in that Supreme Court race. And we don't have anything like that, and we need to figure out how to do that and how to combat that. So, yes. Yeah, if we do not control the state house as the governorship, aren't we just no, no, I don't think so. Because the thing, so in the states where we can make changes in the law, like North Carolina, I hope that we will be able to plug some vulnerabilities there. Um, but most of these are it's just taking what, you know, we're kind of stuck with the hold hand. And uh, we'll see what happens in Virginia this fall. If, we, if the Republicans are able to hold the state house and, and reclaim the state senate, then maybe it's possible to get rid of 45 days of early voting in Virginia. 45 days. Do you know how hard it is to have observers be able to watch for that long a period? I mean, there are several things that they can do. They can get rid of same-day registration, but they can't do that now because the Democrats still hold the state Senate. But I just remind everybody that having people involved, engaged, and overseeing all of that in 2021 in Virginia made all the difference, even though it was still controlled by Democrats in every office. Okay, Cleta, really? I hope young folks in particular pay attention to that and say, I'm not all right. Like, that's not okay. All right, next. Uh, this is real quick. I want to mention this because I don't know if it's a trend. I don't know if it's going to continue. But I want you to know and pay attention to this. So we all know how expensive housing is. We know there's not enough housing supply in Metro Atlanta. Rents are, are high. Mortgages are high because there's just not a lot of supply and folks are just being greedy, right? Um, so the numbers are out on foreclosures in the first quarter of 2023. So that's January, February, and March of 2023. Why should you care about the foreclosure rate? Why is that something to pay attention to? Well, it is indicative of a shift in the economy. And so when foreclosures are high, that and they get into crisis numbers, that means generally the government will have to step in. And generally when foreclosures are high, that means that there's something also happening in the job market. So in Q1 of 2023, foreclosures rose by 22% compared to Q1 of 2022. Some of that of why it was lower in 2022 is because the government was there were more levers in place where they were trying to keep people in their homes in the early part of the pandemic. Now, this number is still lower than the pre-pandemic levels, but the question is, will we see a continued increase in Q2 and in Q3? We've seen across the board a number of major companies have had big layoffs in the in the tune of thousands and thousands of employees. So, I don't know what will happen, but this is definitely something I think folks should be paying attention to. 
All right. And now we're zooming right along on the party poopers and party starters. Yeah. Let her go around singing the party pooper song. Every party needs a pooper. That's why we invited you. Party pooper. <laughs> party pooper. Now I've been waiting to talk about this for a couple of weeks because we just had a different show format, but now it is here. The un, uh, undoubted, unabashed party pooper of the season, the decade. No, I'm just kidding. Just at least for this show is <laughs> Justice Clarence Thomas. Y'all have heard the story about he effectively has this billionaire friend who has bankrolled all of his family vacations, which I'm like, I need to, I need to change my friend's group up. <laughs> what's going on i've had a couple of friends you know invite me to vacation but they weren't billionaires so that was, that was a little different but anyway um that optic of uh just a rich billionaire just paying for all your trips it definitely sounds like he's in your pocket like oh yeah on, man. yeah oh yeah so listen to democratic senator dick durbin who was on meet the press sunday Dick Durbin is the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, which means that in a system of check and balances, they could have a check on the Supreme Court. So take a listen to what he said. I want to talk about the specifics of Justice Thomas here and ask you this question. The sale of Thomas's uh, mother's house and the adjacent lots without disclosure on that an annual financial filing, would it be a violation of law if he were just a, a, on the circuit? Because in Section 5 of, of the U.S. Code, it reads, it shall be unlawful for any person to knowingly and willfully falsify any information that such person is required to report under Section 102. Fail to file or report any information that such person is required to report. Point is, if this were a Judge Thomas, this is perhaps a crime. Now, it is not clear this would apply to Justice Thomas. Is that your understanding? That's exactly the point, Chuck. Uh, if this were another judge, if this were a member of Congress uh, and it happened that, that some Texas billionaire came in and said, I'm going to buy your mom's house and the house is nearby uh, and own this so she doesn't have to pay rent or a mortgage payment, you'd say to yourself, well, that's obvious. That's the sort of thing that needs to be disclosed. That's a clear indication of a conflict of interest. Is there a question that should be raised? So, yes, there's no question in my mind that the Supreme Court has exempted itself from standards that apply to the executive and legislative branch and even to other judges. So what could, I mean, look, we have a separation of powers issue, and we could talk about that, right? The Supreme Court would have to decide whether a law Congress passed to apply the justices um, uh, passed that test of separation of powers. That's a tough test to pass. What would legislation look like that would uh, enforce uh, an ethical code of conduct on justices? Well, the code of conduct would look an awful lot like the code that applies to the rest of federal government and other judges, uh, and basically would have uh, disclosures, timely disclosures, of uh, transactions like this uh, uh, purchase of, of, the, of the justice's mother's home. Uh, it would also uh, give standards for recusal, so that if there's going to be uh, conflict before the court uh, and a recusal, it'd be explained uh, publicly, mm -hmm. uh, and investigations of questions that are raised. It, it is the same standard that's being used across the board. Code of conduct, ethics laws applied to the court. 
Why this Supreme Court, these nine justices, believe they are exempt from the basic standards of disclosure, yeah. I cannot explain. And I think Chief Justice uh, should appear before our committee and explain something or explain the changes that he's going to make. Why not invite Justice Thomas? So what you're hearing is that a justice of the highest court in the land is not held to the same or even tougher standard than any judge whether that's your local county municipal judge, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals judge, and the person at the very top can do whatever they want, essentially, without being reprimanded. Now, it's one thing to say, hey, Harlan Crow, that's the billionaire. We've been homies for a long time. You know, it is what it is. But it's a lot harder to explain why your billionaire friend purchased property from you, purchased the house that your mother lives in, renovated the house. Your mother still lives there. And Harlan Crow can't say whether or not your mother pays rent to him. That seems like a problem to me. Somebody ain't doing the math right. Oh, they doing the math right. <laughs> they got all the money. So... There's a question about what happens next, right? We talk a lot about, we've talked about this exact issue at the dick through the crates, as you like to say, Keith, but it, it was probably, I don't know, 20 or so episodes ago, we talked about trust in the Supreme Court and how it's much lower. And this is just another reason why that's the case. So what could happen? There is precedent of a justice having to resign because of financial impropriety. In 1969, Justice Abe Fortas was appointed by a Democratic president, and he resigned even though Nixon, a Republican, was president at the time, and his departure would mean that Nixon would replace him with a conservative justice. That entire effort was bipartisan in nature, and actually Democrats led it, even though the justice was a more liberal justice and it would have cost Democrats or more progressive people a key seat in the court. Given where things are, the state of the country, I don't see Justice Thomas resigning. I don't see Justice Thomas even being censured, right? Which is just generally a public scolding that says, hey, I, you did something wrong. You better not do it again. I just don't see that happening. Um, it's kind of like what has happened with Trump, where... The party has coalesced behind him and can't recognize a wrongdoing because of power and control. So because of that, Justice Clarence Thomas is certainly the party pooper. But not just him, the people who enable this. All right, on to party starters. You know, this is an interesting one because um, it's a different vein. I, I would say the party starters for this week are the far right GOP party leaders in Georgia who were elected to lead their county, uh, their county offices. So one is Candace Taylor. That name might sound familiar. We talked about her during the election last year. She ran uh, in the primary against Kemp and she was... 
She ran up, and if I recall it, she ran on guns, abortions, and Jesus. So she was pro-gun, anti-abortion, and pro-Jesus. It was like something like that, her motto. Um, as a result of all this, I think the GOP activists are giving Republicans a taste of their own medicine. So if you look at in Georgia and across the country, Republicans are ignoring the will of the majority on things like guns, on things like abortion, on things like critical race theory, right? So Republicans are ignoring the will of the people and they're doing whatever it is they want to do. Well, the GOP activists are ignoring the will of most Republicans. They don't want to be relitigating 2020, but the GOP activists are going to continue to do that. Most Republicans don't want Trump, but they want conservative policies. But the GOP activists are going to continue to push Trump as a candidate. So I, th I think they're getting a taste of their own medicine. Uh, in response to all of this, Kemp uh, has been skipping state GOP events and really trying to consolidate his power away from the activists because the activists, he just views them as a nuisance at this point. And so it's just it's kind of interesting to see uh, what will end up happening there. So those are your party poopers and party starters. I do have to mention some big news that happened today, Monday. Two big voices are leaving TV or at least leaving their respective stations. Uh, one, of course, is Don Lemon, who was fired from CNN. And the other is Tucker Carlson, who, quote unquote, amicably parted ways with Fox News. But I don't know how amicable that was. I don't think Tucker Carlson expected to leave. Uh, should we say good riddance for both or what? <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'll say good riddance for both for different reasons. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't come back in some form or fashion. I mean, Tucker Carlson has a huge following. I do think what's distinct about his following is that it's much older. And if you think about someone like a Ben Shapiro, who has an even larger following on podcast form, and it's a more diverse audience. So I don't know, maybe Tucker does a podcast. Maybe he goes to Newsmax or one of the other conservative outlets. Um, he'll probably do Rumble. You know, Rumble yeah. has been passing out a lot of money lately. Yeah. They even gave uh, DJ Academics some money. They gave Andrew what? Tate some money. Uh, these are five, ten million dollar deals. So I can see him doing something like that. And then, you know, he won't be held to any kind of standards. Right. Because it's internet. So he could. You know, he can say whatever he wants. Yeah. Yeah. The um, I think Rush Limbaugh did that, right? Didn't he leave and start his own like? Well, he was on talk radio. He was the yeah, king of talk radio. Yeah. But that's what I mean, like that talk right. radio space is like a separate right community, and right? it's a space that conservatives have dominated, yeah. and Democrats just have never really done much with it. I think they're figuring out podcasts, but even still, I think Republicans have the the right has dominated. It's so interesting. I'd say the left has dominated mainstream media, mm -hmm. but the right has dominated counter media. Yeah. Right. So whether that's podcasts, whether it's YouTube. blogs, YouTube, yeah, especially like YouTube, social media yeah. is yeah. dominated by Republicans. And to the point where like, I wish Democrats would invest in more like talk radio and like YouTube like things, but then it's like, what would their message be? 
you know, because that's kind of why the Republicans win in that counter meeting. Right. Because they're not saying Republican talking points. They're just talking counterculture. Right. And when you talk counterculture, that that's the youth. That's exactly. hip hop. That's immigrants. That's everybody's in that, you know, so that's kind of why they win. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm curious to see what happens from a from a media standpoint. And now, Don Lemon, I don't know where he. I don't, I don't see him landing anywhere. Like maybe one of those black news channels. Oof. But he won't. They won't pay him enough. No, so nowhere near. Maybe he'll host like one of Real Housewives or something. <laughs> I think. <laughs> so basically, he'll become a very unserious person. Is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think he was that serious. To do I did, yeah, I didn't so, either. Yeah, I think it'll be right, fit right in with Andy Cohen. Yeah, Dang. be perfect. <laughs> yeah, I I can see it. Yeah, but I don't I don't see MSNBC picking him up or, like, what's the point? Yeah, nobody. All right, all right, y'all. That is today's show. This week's show. Tune in next week. Who knows what's gonna happen? But I know it's gonna be something worth talking about. Until then. Stay tuned to where to party at. And, oh, and shout out, shout out to my friends, Keith and Eldridge on hitting episode 200 of the Just Eldridge podcast. This is episode 72, and I'm just trying to imagine what it would feel like to get to 200. That's big. I mean, you better be at 100. Hey, so that's gonna be we're getting there. We're getting yeah, there. Yeah. Thank you all. 